Hey guys, Joe Miles here with Osseo Gear. This is the Mission Whitetail Podcast. We're going to be doing a deep dive into what it truly takes to kill these mature bucks. We're going to step outside the box and look at the why for gear, tactics, training, and more importantly, the mindset from over 35 years of chasing these magnificent animals all over North America. Thank you for following along and welcome to Mission Whitetail. All right, guys, welcome back to Mission Whitetail. We have a super special guest today, a good buddy of mine. We have known each other for quite a while, done some hunts together. Uh, we got hooked up back in the Matthews Dominant Bucks days way back when. Uh, we got Adam Hayes here, and Adam is the owner of the TV show Team 200, as well as the Deer Hunter's Moon Guide. And he has a ton of giant bucks under his belt. And it, it really is a privilege to have him today to be able to pick his mind and, and learn a ton about what he does and how he does. So, Adam, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for the invitation. Picking my brain is going to be a short trip. So, <laughs> <laughs> especially with that Ohio State. Uh, hoodie that we got on right here yeah that, that that uh that's already got my wires crossed i don't know how good i'm gonna do today thinking about that like i said i knew i was coming into enemy territory with the alabama guys so have to wave the flag yeah if if uh pork chop was home right now you know he'd be in the background with some gamecock or alabama sec roll tide stuff going on I still need to send that Ohio State jersey to Pork Chop so he's got something colorful to wear this fall. <laughs> <laughs> he'll, he'll have a burning part. You know he's going to college this year. He's going to be a freshman I, at Carolina. Yes. You're kidding me. No. He is, he is uh, full grown, buddy. He's chasing the co-eds as hard as he can go. That's crazy. I didn't realize he was in college. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Unbelievable. Is he playing ball? Uh, no, no football. He's done with sports. Uh, had a good his senior year. They were thirteen and zero, and just hadn't. He couldn't have been any better. They won the state championship. He's got to focus now on those college girls. One hundred percent focus. It. Yeah, no doubt. Right. Amen. <laughs> All right. Well, let's dive into some hunting stuff. Um, let's talk. Give us a little background on you. And I know you've done this a million times, but uh, and, and most guys that are going to be listening to this are familiar with you. But, but give us a little background on you and, and kind of your style of hunting and, and you know, kind of, I always do this because I think it's important, um, you know, kind of your kill count on, I know you've got four over 200 and if I'm not wrong, maybe 10 or 12 over 170, but just go through a little bit of that. Yeah, uh, I actually shot my 12th deer here in Ohio last year over 170, so that was a, um, and that was the first buck I've killed in Ohio in a while. But yeah, uh, I could back my screen up, maybe get a look like what you got there behind you to show yeah, off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Flip it up there, so so guys can Hopefully see. I won't uh, drop my computer off my desk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there's, so there's some credibility there. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I just finished my 40th season bow hunting. Can you believe that? Golly, that's awesome. 40 years, showing my age. 
it's hard to get 40 years into bow hunting when you're only 35 years old. That's unbelievable. Yeah, that would be a trick, wouldn't it? <laughs> no, man, I've been, you know, 40 years bow hunting, been shooting a bow since I was four. So it's been a, been a long, long road, but um, yeah, I've been in the industry for 20 years, started with Skyline Camouflage. I'm, I'm sure you probably got some listeners that never even heard of Skyline. Yeah, most all of our listeners are dyed in the wool ICO Raptor camo guys. Mm -hmm. As they should be. As they should be, yes. I am now too. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> but uh yeah, 20 years in the industry. Hello. Hello. Who's there? We're muted now. Um producing shows for a few manufacturers. And then, like you said, when you and I met, I moved to Florida working with Miranda to start the uh, dominant bucks program. And then we started the team 200 show. This is the ninth season. If you can believe that. That's awesome. Congratulations on that. And then, uh, you know, we bought the moon guide together. How many years has that been? That's been like nine years now. Yeah. It was really right when team 200 started. Yeah. Yeah. We bought that so. and, and resurrected it and, and, and brought it back. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's been a great project I know for you, and you, you've really taken it and run with it now. Got an app and everything. Yeah, so, I mean, the last decade has really been focused on Team 200 and the Moon Guide and trying to uh, trying to get a wall together like what you got behind you. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you're, you know, when I met you back then, you know, even back then – you know, you were, you were kind of known for finding a particular giant, regardless of where that was, if it was in Kansas, Alberta, at your, in your home state of Ohio and, and really locking down on that one deer and getting him killed or getting a crack at him, at him. And I think a lot of our listeners, you know, want to, want to know kind of how you do that and, and, I realize that hard work is the, is the secret sauce. Um, but you know, I, a, a lot of our, guy, our guys aren't guys that have 5,000 acre Iowa farms or, you know, thousand acre farms to hunt. They, they've got permission, they've got leases. Um, you know, they may go hunt with an outfitter, um, you, you know, kind of do things the same way you and I do them, you know, as far as getting different places to hunt and that sort of thing. And don't, you know, own giant farms that can be managed drop in to kind of i mean let's just dive right in and and, and kind of how, how do you go about that process i think really it's the main thing is all about finding that specific deer to hunt you know because you when you're after a specific animal it takes things to a whole different level you know you're more focused and driven and pay closer attention to detail. And I think it just makes you a, a better hunter, you know, when you're focusing on a specific animal rather than hoping a big deer is going to show up, you know, and walk by. And it's, it's a completely different game. And that's just, that's what I live for. I mean, to me, I'd rather go out and find a big deer than have somebody say, you know, go hunt this stand and this giant's going to come by at seven 30 and 20 yards and shoot him. I mean, it's, 
that the game, you know, the chess game with the big deer is, is really what drives me um, and has for a long time. And, you know, having a specific deer to hunt is, uh, is my goal every year. You know, and you try to try to do what you can to make sure you're on a, you know, or, or I, what I try to do is find a, you know, deer over 170 here at home. You know, I hunt Illinois every year, Kansas every year. Now that COVID's over, you can get back up to Canada and, you know, Canada is without a doubt my favorite place anymore to hunt. I mean, ever since 20 years ago when I went to the bow zone for the first time and you and I hunted the bow zone and had, you know, probably the biggest deer I've ever seen in my life at 20 yards for three hours and ended up not connecting and Canada's kind of been my nemesis ever since then, but the, the game up there and the limited pressure, it's just nothing like it in the States as far as I'm concerned. But how do you, how do you find, um, you know, I, we talked about this a little bit on the last podcast about access that Kevin and I did, but, but how do you, you know, at home, obviously you can ride around, you can, uh, glass, you can run trail cameras. H- how do you find, um, a, a big deer, a particular deer in Canada, for example, or in Kansas or in Illinois, how, what's your process there of finding a big deer? It's different than it was, you know, 10, 20 years ago, because, you know, here at home, you used to be able to drive the roads in the summer and glass the soybean fields and find a big deer, you know, and, and then, you know, have a decent chance of getting permission to hunt them. And that's just not the case anymore. You know, if there's a big deer out in the bean fields, there's two or three other trucks watching them and good luck getting permission to hunt that area. So, I mean, the game has changed and that's not just here in Ohio. That's pretty much everywhere. And I've been fortunate that, you know, I live in Licking County, Ohio, which is one of the top counties for Boone and Crockett deer. And I hunt two really good areas in Illinois and Kansas that I've hunted for almost 20 years that both produce world-class deer and, you know, I've got to know, you know, friends and farmers and just got great places that I've not only hunted for close to 20 years, but I've gotten to know intimately, you know, know where, you know, where I need to be and where the big deer are. So yeah, finding them has gone from, you know, summer scouting and watching soybean fields to running cameras year round, doing a lot of shed hunting um, keeping in touch with all the locals as far as what they're seeing. And, you know, if there's a big deer around, people know about it. So it's kind of shifted from going out and finding them to focusing on the areas that I hunt and not only, you know, running cameras and, and that sort of thing to find the bucks that are there, but doing what you can to grow big deer. You know, I, I run, uh, you know, more food plots than ever before, you know, not only here at home, but in Illinois, we've established, you know, we've probably got 15 acres of food plots and uh, trying to grow more because you just can't go out and find permission anywhere anymore. You got to do the most with what you've got. And that's pretty much the game for me anymore. So we we touched on this as well, that it, it goes back to relationships building the relationships with the, with the out-of-state guys or even the in-state guys 
And, and that's a long process. Yeah. And, and I think if, I think you would agree with this. If you're, if you're serious about it, you're going to build those relationships and you're going to keep expanding on that. You know, you're going to get your, your foothold in Illinois or your foothold in Kansas and, and create that relationship. And, you know, we, again, not to beat a dead horse because we've, we've touched on this, but you have to bring value to that relationship. It can't be one-sided. Yep. Um, you know, whether it's you're helping out, like you said, you know, you've established food plots out there. I'm sure you're helping them get seed. You're going out there during planting time and helping with that. And you're providing value for, for your, you know, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I mean, I'm, I'm assuming you're doing that. Oh yeah. Yeah. You can't just show up when season opens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's a year-round deal. If you if you do, it's going to be a short-lived relationship. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and those relationships, you know, with uh, my landowners and buddies in in Illinois, and Kansas is, you know, there's some great people, and you know, I'm out there as often as I can. You know, whether it's putting food plots in or going to somebody's wedding or you know. Yeah, it's a relationship and some of my, you know, best friends in the world. So, yeah, I yeah, enjoy that, that, going out there to see them as much as I do hunting. Yep. And then, I, you know, to, to locate the big deer um, and then get permission, you, your opinion is that has gotten extremely hard to do. It certainly hadn't gotten any easier. <laughs> so many more people are doing it. So many yeah. more people. Uh, trail cameras, um, you know, that, that sort of thing. Yeah. And I mean, unless you got a, you know, really deep pockets, everything's, you know, most of the good stuff is leased up no matter where you go. So, I mean, it's, you know, hate to say it, but it's kind of becoming a rich man's sport. And unless you can afford to outbid the next guy, I mean, you're, you're out of luck. It's just, yeah, that's the toughest part of the game anymore is getting, you know, good spots or new spots. Yeah. They're not making any more of that property. So. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of the good spots are getting bought up by developments too. So guys yep. are getting more, you know, compact into certain areas. Yeah. It ain't getting any easier. That's for sure. And I'm going back to, um, I guess a little bit of your background. How did you get, I know you started shooting a bow at four. how did you get started? I guess bow hunting. Was there a family member or did you see some kind of old TV show or what got you? Oh, going no, into my, that? my dad bow hunted. My dad was right. the one that got me into it. Yeah. I was going with him even before I could actually hunt, just, you know, sitting with him in the woods while he was bow hunting. I was doing that when I was man, nine, 10 years old. And when, when you started, were you like kind of most guys where um, you kind of just sit one or two spots and on any kind of wind, or did you always kind of have a grasp of, were you always mobile and, and you know, played the wind and all that? Man, I'll bet you for the first 10 years, I was a, a lost ball in high weeds. <laughs> would be the best description. <laughs> I wish I knew then what I know now because it was a different game back then. But, no, it took me a while to get it figured out. 
It really did. I mean, I struggled with it. I'd see deer, but I mean, you know, you'd have, back when I started, a tree stand was something that you built out of two by fours, you know, and that was your stand and you hunted that stand every time you went, no matter what the wind was, you know, what the moon was doing. <laughs> so yeah, do, you, was do, you, different. do you have like a light bulb moment that you can kind of recall where you, you had a successful hunt or, or maybe a, you know, got busted or something where you're like, okay, and kind of started putting everything together or was there somebody that taught you that? Yeah. My light bulb moment was the first deer that I killed that qualified for the Ohio big bucks club, which was 140 inches. I'm sure it's still 140, but I got sick of not killing anything good, you know, and I, I'd read every magazine I could get my hands on. And back in the day, you know, North American whitetail, you know, reading the stuff that Dick Idle wrote and the Winslow brothers really helped me understand what was going on. But it wasn't until that year that I went out in the summer, found a big deer, glass in the bean fields, and got permission, you know, where that deer was living, focused on that deer, um, you know, sat in a tree stand all July and August, watching that deer, figuring out what he was doing. And when I killed that specific animal and everything that I had done, you know, worked. And I just, that was the light bulb moment for me, really, you know, focusing on a specific animal. And, and that's, you know, a, a, that's a bunch of research. You know, you did a ton of research, Mac, you know, like guys do today. They get on YouTube, they listen to podcasts, they do a bunch of research. But until you actually get out there and do it, make the mistakes, put the plan in place, it fails, um, and then it does succeed, like you say, that's where it starts to come together. You actually going out and doing it. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It's, it almost seems like, you know, the whole hunting scene is getting away from, you know, the basics, you know, and woodsmanship and scouting and, you know, a lot of guys that, you know, they run trail cameras and run bait and their season consists of just watching those cameras until a good deer shows up and then they go in and shoot them. And a lot of guys, you know, well, I shouldn't say a lot of guys, but there's a certain portion of people that just, they don't understand the scouting and the woodsmanship and everything that, you know, we used to have to do to figure these deer out before trail cameras and everything. Yeah, it's almost to, you like know. there's a shift. You know, we, we had Andre on, uh, I think, our second or third show, Lone Wolf Custom Gear, and it, it's almost a shift to where guys are focusing way more on their setups and their gear. You know, they, they've got to be one sticking out of a saddle on public ground, and it, it doesn't matter if they're killing anything or not. You know, th this is how I hunt. I, there's nothing wrong with one sticking out of a saddle on public ground. That's great. But the focus, there's like this trend where it's, it, it's getting away from exactly what you say, woodsmanship and, and actually killing deer and, and the style or how you, how you hunt, meaning the equipment and, and where has become part of the focus it's it's a really strange phenomenon that i'm seeing yeah i know what you mean and you know if that's what guys are into their setup and their equipment and they're into that more than actually you know shooting a big deer i mean more power to them you know, everybody's got 
you know, specific things that drive them. So. Well, t- take us, take us through your early season, pre-rut, rut, late season, kind of, you know, I, I know this question's coming at you, putting you on the spot, but what, what is your, your process? Um, you know, you, you have, you found the deer in Ohio and you, let's just use that as a scenario. You found the deer and then, then let's do an example like the last 200 you killed, because that's a pretty good story. Um, you, you found the deer in Ohio, you're getting ready to hunt him early season. How are you going to do that? You don't get him early season. What's your plan pre-rut, rut, and you don't get him pre-rut or rut. How are you going to kill him late season? Walk, walk, walk through that, if you will. You know, hunting specific deer, I really try to focus on early season and, and late season because, you know, when you're after a specific deer, you know what it's like in November. It's just next to impossible to try to pattern or predict the deer in November when they're breeding. So I really focus more on early and late. Um, and then I try to, uh, you know, do a lot of my out of state hunting during the rut. But for here at home, it's all about early season. It's about, um, you know, a lot of observation in the summer, you know, watching these deer from observation stands, a safe dif- distance away, figuring out how they use an area. Break that down. Let me let me interrupt you. Observation stands. Bre- bre- w- w- explain that a little bit. Guys are going to be interested in that. I'm just talking about getting up in a tree or at a safe distance, two, three, four hundred yards, to where you can watch, you know, a field, say a soybean field, and um, watch how these deer, the trails that they use, the winds they use to get in and out of that field safely because they're probably going to be using the same trails with the same winds during season. So, you know, whether I'm in my truck with a spotting scope 400 yards away or in a tree at the opposite end of the field with a good wind, you know, watching, but observing, scouting, you know, trying to figure out what they're doing. And, you know, my, my thought process with that goes back to a um, article. Actually it was a chapter in Jeff Murray's book, the Moonstruck book, when he interviewed Miles Keller, and he talked about hunting from the outside in where he'd start as far out as he could, you know, and just gradually work in closer and closer until he knew the exact tree he needed to be in to kill that deer. So that's, that's my, you know, focus and thought pattern, even in the summer is safe distance observation until you can figure out exactly where you need to be to kill that deer before you ever go in there and hunt. Because I'm sure you've seen this, you know, nine times out of 10, the first time you go into a spot is going to be the best time to kill a deer bar none. So why would you go in there until everything's perfect and you know exactly where you need to be to kill him? Because if there's one difference between me and most guys, I'd say it's that toughest part about hunting a big deer is not hunting until everything lines up. You know, I don't, I don't think I have any, you know, secrets about scouting that nobody else knows about or being able to read sign, but I think I'm probably more patient when it comes to actually diving into that kill spot to kill that specific animal, because I want to know right where I need to be to kill him. And then I'm going to wait until I got the deck stacked in my favor before I go in there go in there and hunt him unless I get 
daylight picture of that animal making a mistake during daylight. Like this buck I killed in Ohio last year. Killed most of my deer on the red moon. I followed the moon half for 20 years. I mean, that's why, you know, we bought the moon guide because it's something yep. to believe in. But I mean, just because it's not a red moon doesn't mean I'm sitting at home, you know, not hunting. And this buck last year was a deer I was waiting on, you know, been on this farm for four years and hadn't shown up. And third week of October, bam, just out of nowhere, he shows up in the corner of the soybean field. You know, wind was terrible. Moon was terrible. Weather was terrible, hot. But I mean, he showed up in daylight and I dove in the next night and killed him. You know, and you have to be ready to do that no matter what. So um, it's, uh, I'm kind of losing my train of thought now, but. No, no, I, that, that, that's, that's awesome. Intel is that, you know, hunt from the outside in to, to summarize or, or what I'm hearing, hunt, hunt from the outside in. But if you, you have to be prepared to move immediately, um, if, if the conditions show themselves. Yeah. And that's where, you know, equipment like, you know, Lone Wolf Custom Ears equipment, you know, when I was able to dive into a spot when I killed my biggest buck in Ohio, saw that buck the night before come out of the CRP field and he was pushing some does around and they had just picked the corn and it was a part of the farm, actually it was neighbor's uh, farm I wasn't familiar with. Went there the next day, got permission, went in that, that night with standing sticks on my back, kind of scouted as I went in, hung my stand. I wasn't, you know, 12, 15 feet off the ground. And I watched a 208-inch giant stand up out of the CRP 80 yards from me and come my direction, and I killed him. You know, when you can take equipment like that, and do that without making noise when you've got a world-class animal bedded 80 yards away that says you know all you need to know about their equipment hayes you're firing me up with this story you're <laughs> making me want to go hunt right now well yeah but the the the, the thing is man you you got to use equipment that you can do stuff like that because yeah you never know what's going to happen i mean it's great to have tree stands pre-hung weeks or months in advance and your trail camera set up where you've done all your scouting and, you know, when the plan comes together, that's great. But sometimes it doesn't happen that way. And a big deer shows up. And if I learned anything from Andre, you know, being, you know, tight with them and working for him for forever and seeing that guy at work in the field is you've got to have a level of aggressiveness in your hunting, you know, style to be able to take advantage you know, when a big deer makes a mistake like that during daylight, I mean, you, you can't just sit back and hope that deer is going to come to you. Sometimes you got to go to him. All right. So that kind of segues, you're talking about being mobile. What What is, I know you've got preset stands that you've already got out in certain spots, but like right now, I'm sure in wherever you keep your stands, you've got your mobile setup ready to go. What Walk through that for guys. Tell them what, what exactly is your mobile setup? I really like that 5.0 that Andre's got. You know, it's about the same size as the old Assault, <clears throat> and it's even lighter. Um, I still like the full-length sticks because with my 20-inch inseam, <laughs> four of those mini sticks is going to get me about seven foot off the ground. <laughs> 
So How much space in there. <laughs> you and I kind of got the same problem, Adam. Uh, <laughs> I can't have people hanging my stands for me because I can never get from the first stick to the second stick. <laughs> you mean Scott in. Baker? You mean Scott Baker, for example? Yeah, he'd be on the top of that list. <laughs> the tippity top of that list. Good yeah. gosh, he's nuts. Well, he's he's spent. 40 years working on rooftops. So he's not afraid of heights. Yeah. So, so 0.5 full length sticks. Are you doing the double sticks or the, uh, the, the traditional folding ones? I like the traditional. Yeah. I actually just ordered that 0.5, um, yesterday, believe it or not from, from Andre with the, I did get the full length double sticks. I just, cause I just want to try them and I've got plenty of the others. Um, anything you're customizing on your stand seat or your sticks or anything like that? Um, I do, you know, I do take everything a step further with the, you know, the, the quietness. So, I mean, I'll, I, I go through two dozen rolls of hockey tape every year and I'll wrap, you know, wrap the sticks, the stands, any, you know, like where the seat folds down. I'll make sure the seat <clears throat> is either wrapped in hockey tape or I've got a pad underneath it. So when it closes, it's not metal on metal. You know, I wrap my buckles on the straps with hockey tape, just any, anything where you might have metal or metal contact, because, you know, especially on a mobile setup where you're going to put that in on your back and try to dive into a spot where you could be within a hundred yards of a bed of deer, you know, you just can't afford to make any mistakes. So, yeah. Yeah, that's something we did a lot of, uh, or or I I picked up from you way back in the day in Canada when we were hunting up there with two dogs. We we were hockey taping, we were hockey taping everything. That's a yeah. that's a story for another time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ke Kevin wanted to ask you something about yeah. early season before we get into your last two hundred. Go, go ahead. Yeah, Kevin. you mentioned um, that you like to you know set up. The uh, observation stands and glass from afar. How long? Uh, I know that Ohio, the bow season doesn't start or the opener doesn't start till after they're hard horned. How long of a time frame do you have before they get off that summer summer pattern? You got to be there, you know, opening day, or do you have a couple weeks, or what's it looking like? Man, it really depends on the specific deer because I've hunted deer here at home that <clears throat> will be on their summer pattern, you know, into mid to late October. And then I've had some, when they shed their velvet, they're gone, you know, disappeared. So it really depends on the specific animal. I mean, if you've got soybeans that were planted late so that they're green in October, you got a good chance of those deer sticking around. Um, in that summer pattern, especially if you got oaks close by, because there's a big shift, you know, to acorns early season too. But um, yeah, it just all depends on the deer. And that's where your scouting comes in because, you know, a lot of, I talked to a lot of guys that fall into that same deal where you watch a buck do the same thing all summer long. And as soon as he sheds his velvet, he's gone. And they're just banking on that deer being there for the opener. And a lot of times what I've found that those bucks do is when they shed their velvet, they're back to their core area. And that could be, it could be a hundred yards, 200 yards away. It could be two miles away. And that's where your scouting pays off 
late season, finding the core areas where these bucks live so that when they disappear from their summer pattern, that's where they're going to go. And a great way to know when they make that shift and where they go is not only to find those core areas, but I like to establish mineral sites in those core areas and put a camera on it because I've had more than one big deer disappear from his summer pattern, goes back to his core area. And the first thing they do is hit that mineral site. And if you got a camera there waiting for him, you know what happened to him. He's shown back up. Yep. So how do you, uh, what do you do? So it's post-season, post-season scouting. What do you, how do you go about finding these core areas? Are you finding their sheds or finding a bunch of rubs or what are you looking for? It's usually thicker cover with a lot of big rubs. That's probably the biggest thing is looking for a concentration of big rubs, you know, rubs that are big around as Joe's leg. Which <laughs> leg are we talking about? Pretty big, <laughs> pretty big or small rubs. Yeah, pretty big or small. Yeah. <laughs> That's very broad. <laughs> yes. Not that size? Yeah. Uh, which leg? Yeah. <laughs> yeah concentrations of big rubs around thick cover and it always helps if there's a giant shed laying there you know you know what deer it is but that's really what i'm looking for yeah T take us through shifting gears again your last 200 in kansas because i know that's a heck of a story with that creek you went down um go from start to finish when you found out about the deer you know kind of your plan where you went and did cameras i know it was really hot when you killed him the moon was perfect walk us walk us through that so you know that was an area that i've been hunting for you know almost 20 years with chris seymour yeah. i've never been on that particular farm although i've been on farms you know within a mile of it so i was familiar with the area but we had never seen that deer before. That deer showed up, I want to say it was early to mid-October on trail camera. You know, Chris, Chris would run, you know, corn piles on all of his properties so he could get an inventory of deer. And that buck started showing up mid-October. And I think he had, you know, three guys hunting that farm uh, before I ever got there. And most of the pictures were in the middle of the night. You know, and after looking at the aerial of that farm, um, I was guessing that buck was not living on that property. He was living somewhere close, but not on that property. So I figured I had a little bit of time. You know, I didn't throw everything in the truck and rush right out there. You know, first picture that we got, even though I could have. Um, the red moon was coming, you know, the first week of November, which is usually super hot in Kansas. So I planned on waiting until I think I actually left on Halloween. Those pictures kept starting, you know, starting to get closer and closer to daylight, the closer we got to that red moon. So I timed it to where I would be there right before the red moon and have, you know, seven or eight days of good hunting once it hit. So I got out there, still hadn't got a daylight picture of that buck. And the way that farm was set up was that it was in the middle of a block that was two miles long and a mile wide. And it was right in the middle of that block. One big chunk of timber and it had a couple wooded fingers coming off of it. And as I'm looking at the property, there was really two places that stuck out to where it looked like 
if a big deer is going to come onto that property, that's following the terrain and the cover. Those were the two places where they were going to come in at. And they were on, you know, opposite corners, back corners of that property. So the one that where I ended up killing him really stuck out and you could not design a better looking spot. You know, if, if you could just create it, I mean, it was the back lower part of the farm. So it sat low and it was, you know, kind of out of view unless you were back there. It had two fence lines coming together property lines and then a creek cutting through that diagonally. So there was literally four or five directions that a, a deer could come from any direction, you know, following the timber, following the creek. It was just, it was like the hub or the, you know, the spoke of that back there. Hub, I guess is the right word, but so I, and to make, to make it even better, that creek out there, those creeks are really deep, but they don't have a lot of water. You know, they get washed out over the years and they get, you know, huge rainfalls that come through and wash that stuff out. So the creeks are really deep, but there was like three inches of water. So I could get down in that creek, walk in the water, which wasn't bad at all, only being a few inches deep, but it was, you know, 10 foot deep. So you could walk down that creek and nothing knew that you were there. And I followed that creek probably 300 yards to my tree stand that was like right on the edge of it. So I was basically climbing up out of that creek and right up the stand and got right in the middle of that and nothing had a clue that I was there. And I normally won't hunt a stand, you know, multiple days in a row, but that stand I was able to get in and out, not spook anything. Um, now did the you, other, did, was that a pre, pre-hunting stand or did you hang it when you got there? I hung it when I got there. I hung that stand and then I hung one on the other corner too. Okay. And, um, did you drop any cameras out or, or you just knew the deer was there? I hung cameras, hung cameras in both corners, but it was so hot when I got there. I mean, it was like 85 degrees and there was nothing moving, you know, deer were not moving. I'd see one or two deer, you know, right at first light or last light. And not that there's a ton of deer on that property anyway, but the deer were just not moving. And, I hunted that stand as much as I could. I did hunt the other end a couple times, but I really felt like that, that, um, uh, the Creek stand was going to be where I'd, I'd get an opportunity if I did. So that deer showed back up on camera a couple times when I was there, still not on daylight. I knew the week was just going to keep getting better and better the closer it got to the red moon. And I think it was the sixth or seventh day of my hunt. It was still 75, 80 degrees. Um, wind was blowing, you know, right the exact direction that buck came from. To uh, almost two hours before dark, I wasn't even expecting to see anything because it was so early and so hot. And it heard something turn around, and that buck was picking his way through the thicket heading to that creek. And uh, he actually went to dive down in the creek. I'm sure to get a drink and he caught just a little bit of something where I'd come out of the Creek and he was sniffing around the base of my tree for what seemed like an eternity, but it was probably only a couple minutes. And, uh, I'm literally watching, you know, a 220 inch non-typical through the crate of my lone wolf tree stand. Exactly. 
And I mean, it's dead calm. You could hear a mouse fart. And I'm afraid to, you know, to do anything. You know, I'm, I'm not even looking at my camera, reaching back, trying to get it turned and twisted straight down, trying to get my bow ready, you know, and you can hear in the, I, you can hear in the video, you can hear that deer breathing, you know, as he's taking in the, the, what he's smelling on the ground and just, just an epic, epic encounter with a world-class animal and ended up killing him was it's still to date my biggest deer and uh yeah right on the red moon yep you know first time he showed up in daylight 80 degrees out almost two hours before dark no reason for that deer to be up moving that early you know yeah. came in so with he and he was doing it right he came in with the wind in his face you know fortunately i was i think that might have been one of the first years you know, we started working with those Onyx and man, to this day, that, that was the light bulb moment for me with those Onyx too. So, so let, let's get into the red moon real quick. Cause you know, again, most of the guys that listen here are familiar with it, but moon guide, red moon, just uh, a 30,000 foot view. T tell us, tell us about that real quick, if you don't mind. Two times every day when the moon is actually closer to the earth than any other time. That's the overhead and underfoot moon. And because it's closer at those two times, that's when it has the most gravitational pull. And that's what triggers the tides to come in and out. Yep. And the key to the moon guide is, like you know, there's only a handful of days every month when that overhead or underfoot moon peaks at prime time in the evening. And it's just a natural instinctive deal that animals can sense that we can't just like barometric pressure or, you know, a storm coming in, they can feel that. And that's, you know, whatever it is, it's an instinct that, that pushes them to get up and feed. Yeah. You know, I don't, I, I, countless guys I've talked to talk about deer moving in the middle of the day. What, why are deer out in the middle of the day feeding today? Well, it was, it was because the overhead underfoot moon was, middle of the day. I mean, you can watch farm animals, you know, moving by the overhead and underfoot moon. And that's really what it's about. And it's, you just can't tell me that something that's strong enough to move the oceans, the largest mass on this planet doesn't affect animals and fish. It does. No, no, you're with I don't care how many studies there are out there that say it has no effect on animals, it does. I've done my own study for 20 years. You know, I've yep. seen it firsthand. It's not a hundred percent, nothing is, but more times than not, that gravitational pull does push these animals to get up and move early, you know, and I've seen so much, especially recently on guys talking about these studies that says the moon doesn't affect animals. Well, you know, I don't think that this is something, it's so minute. I'm not sure it's something that a study would even pick up on because you're talking about probably less, less than two or 3% of the deer, you know, the animals that we're chasing. So just a fraction of the deer herd that we're actually talking about. And we're talking about these deer, they're not moving that far to begin with. You know, some of these deer are moving less than 200 yards from bedding to feeding. So you're not going to see this huge spike in movement. And we're only talking about these animals getting up and moving 
a few minutes early, early enough, you know, to where they're moving during shooting light. Yep. You know, it's not some huge migration that or huge movement pattern that I think these studies are even going to pick up on. Yeah, and 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 they're you know they're, how many mature deer are they really? Yeah, I agree with you, man. It's 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 anecdotal to a to a sense, but it's not too because so many people see it. Um, you know, see the exact same thing you're talking about. And, and like you say, middle of the day out feeding, why, why that day? You know, yeah. you know, a guy gets one daylight picture of, of a deer, um, you know, and why, why did he daylight that day? And, and nine times out of 10, if you go back and look at that picture and check the, the moon guide, you'll see it was an overhead or underfoot moon or right around that time. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we, we obviously not to beat a dead horse. We, we, we both agree with that. The moon is, plays a huge part and the the thing that's cool about the moon guide you know the, the the new app that you have that you developed is it it shows you those days you know it, it shows you the red moon days so if you are looking like most guys you know they get a week two weeks vacation during hunting season if you're looking out in advance hey i got a trip to kansas what dates do i need to pick and that's really where it shines because you can't predict the wind or the weather two or three or four months or six months ahead of time, like you can the moon. So yeah, if a guy's only got a week to plan his vacation from work or he's booking a hunt, I mean, that's something that you need to, to look at. I mean, you know, I've been planning my out-of-state hunts around that forever, you know, and I shot, I think it was three years in a row. Um, my three biggest bucks in Kansas, all on that red moon. Yeah. You know, and like I said, it's not a hundred percent. Nothing is. It's not going to make a giant deer show up that doesn't live there. You know, ninety percent, ninety-five percent of your deer herd is going to move the first and last hour every day, pretty much regardless of what the moon is doing or the wind or the weather. Yeah, we're talking about a very small percentage of the deer herd that you're actually focusing on, and when you can take multiple factors that stack the deck in your favor to get that animal up moving during daylight. Why wouldn't you take everything into account? You know, a good moon, a good wind for that animal to feel comfortable enough to move during daylight. And we should talk about that for a minute. And then, you know, the weather, you know, barometric pressure is huge. You know, I follow the weather, you know, um, humidity, uh, all of it. Yeah, when you can line, mul- line up multiple factors that are going to increase activity for that night, you're, you're just increasing your chances. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, because big deer are, first of all, so rare and they're so hard to kill, you, you know, and th- those are quote-unquote controllable things for when you can hunt, when the moon's right, when the wind's right, when the weather's right. Um, you know, those are things that you can look at and, and strategize and plan and then execute, you know, and that, that's all going to help you. Yeah. Uh, no, no question about it. So and I think the, the biggest difference between me and most guys, like I was saying earlier is for me, number one is the wind. You know, you want to talk about a light bulb moment when I quit hunting winds that were good for me and started hunting winds that were good for the animal I was after that changed my success tenfold. I mean, if you think about it, what's going to make a big buck, you know, five, six, seven-year-old deer 
feel comfortable enough to move during daylight more than a wind that is in his favor. So why not give him the wind? You know, give, let that animal use the wind to his advantage and then use that against him. You know, you've got to find a spot somewhere along that buck's travel pattern where you can get within bow range of him while he's using the wind to his advantage. Cause you can't kill him if he's not moving during daylight. What's going to make you move during daylight? A good wind. They yeah. live and die by their nose. So give a big deer the wind to his advantage. So that's number one for me. <clears throat> and number two is the moon. Cause I've killed too many big deer on the red moon that shouldn't have been moving because the wind, or I mean, the weather sucked. Yep. It was either high winds, <clears throat> high heat, you know, the weather's important. You know, I'll, I'll hunt a cold front or high barometric, you know, pressure day every chance I get. But I'm going to pay more attention to that moon. And then that weather is kind of like icing on the cake. Yeah. You get a good wind, good moon, and then you got, uh, you know, a storm coming in or a high pressure day. That's the perfect storm for killing a big deer. And you got you to be able to stay out of those kill spots until you get two or three of those factors lining up because every time you go in there into your kill spot and you don't get it done, the game gets tougher and tougher and tougher because that deer, he's going to pick up on something, whether he hears you or sees you coming out of there after dark or you leave some scent behind. I mean, it just gets tougher each time. So if you've got the discipline, you know, you, you've done all the scouting, you know, you've found this deer and whatever you had to do to secure permission you know, you put your food plots in, you scout, you got all this time and money invested. Why wouldn't you wait until everything's lined up and the deck is stacked in your favor before you go in there and try to kill them? Yeah, that, absolutely. It doesn't make any sense to me. So, and a lot of guys, <clears throat> a lot of guys say, Hey, it's hunting season. I'm going to be hunting. Well, if, it, if those things aren't lined up, I'm still hunting. I'm not going to be in my kill spot. I might be on a different farm. I might be in an observation stand. I'm going to be out there somewhere. Yeah. I'm not sitting at home on the couch, you know, watching TV. Watching Alabama beat Ohio State. Yeah, I don't, I don't blame yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, all right, so a disclaimer, I guess, here is that, you know, so much, so many guys are – well, I guess that's not really the way to put it, but – the moon guide was something that you and I and Andre, as well as a host of other people, used long before we bought the moon guide. You know, as a disclaimer, um, if guys go back and look at the old whitetail addiction stuff from way back in the day, long before you and I bought the moon guide, the moon guide was being touted and used. And, and I swear there's old footage of you um, back when you didn't have near as much gray as you do right now in your beard. Um, <laughs> and mine, mine, uh, was, I don't even think I had a beard back then, um, footage using the moon guide and talking about it. And then the opportunity yep. came for us to buy it and, and, and we knew it was a great product. So that's just a disclaimer to throw out there is that this wasn't something that, that we, we magically created it or came up with out of thin air and are touting it now. Um, th th there was lots of trial and error, and, and we both went through this as Hocus Pocus long ago and, and with trial and error proved that it was a, a heck of a product to the point that we bought it. Yeah, I was uh, fortunate to know Jeff before he passed and spent a lot of time on the phone talking with him about hunting and 
the moon's effect on deer. And, you know, I don't know if you even know this or not. I don't know if we talked about it. I mean, I can't remember what I had for breakfast four hours ago, but the first 200 inch deer that I killed, um, I talked to Jeff about killing that deer and he kept telling me, you, you, you got to make sure you get it done the first time you go in. You need to wait for this red moon. And I finally got the, the right wind and the right moon and dove in and killed, you know, my first 200. And I was, I was pretty much sold after that. But yeah, it's been something that I've paid attention to for a long time. And, you know, we bought it because it was something that honestly, I believed in, you know, used and saw it work and it's worked consistently for over 20 years. Yeah. And it's like I said before, it's not the end all beat all, but I mean, if you're not paying attention to the moon, you're missing the boat. Yep. Been hunting for 40 years. I still learn new stuff every year. Right. And that's just something that I'd hate to go through a season without knowing, you know, when those days are, because I've had some special days and special memories on that red moon for sure. Without a doubt. All right. Piggybacking. I've used that word now three times. If I do it again, Kevin, punch me. Um, Equipment. Let's talk about your bow setup, your bow, your arrow, broadhead, your heavy arrow guy, medium weight arrow guy. Go through your bow setup with us. What are you shooting uh, A to Z? Well, I've been shooting the Hoyt for seven years now. The uh, the new RX-7, I think, is the best best one yet. I've still got my, my um, carbon spider from the very first year. And I, I love that bow. That was my favorite bow to date until this year. I think the RX seven is, is the best shooting bow they've had. It's not, not the, you know, quietest bow, but I just, I love that compact carbon design. You know, you and I have spent a lot of time hunting really late season. I don't think the weather affects that carbon like it does uh, aluminum bow, but I love the RX seven and, um, Black Eagle. I have two setups, you know, for whitetail, I shoot the um, X impact, which is, I believe it's almost like their highest end hunting, more of a uh, target arrow, but it's a micro diameter. It's the straightest arrows that they have. And my, my whitetail setup is 450 grain. And then for elk and big game, I use a deep impact and that's a 650 grain arrow. Uh, uh, the radical archery design, the Tycon. I just like a big fixed blade broadhead. So that's what I'm shooting with um, as far as broadheads go. And then I got a hundred grain for the whitetail rig and 125 for the, you know, for the elk setup. And obviously got to have a Luminoc. Yep. And shooting Luminox for 20 some years. So that's, that's pretty much my setup. And I, man, I love it. I wouldn't change a thing. Single, single pin, multiple cents, pin, slider sight. You know, I tried to switch to a single pin, but you know, when, when you're hunting and filming, anytime you can eliminate a step to that process, you've got to, so I'm not going to add a step and having to adjust that sight dial just is a step I can't afford to add to the process. So multiple pins for me, yep. you know, 
I did get a, um, I did get one of the Garmin sites this year. I haven't tried it yet. You know, you and I talked about your review on it and you got me thinking, you know, there's two or three things that I might not want to um, test because when it comes to something going wrong in the woods, man, it's going to happen to me and it's going to happen to the worst possible time. So, yeah. I, yeah, just be real thorough when you put that on your bow, and yeah. you know, we we obviously aren't going to get into that. But um, what about training? Do you do, um, you know, you sight your bow in, shoot it on the weekends? I mean, what do you, what do you do there? You know, if there's anything I probably do that's different than most guys is, I'll, I shoot year round. But in June, you know, because I I normally go on a bear hunt in the spring is when I'll start shooting broadheads and I shoot them all through the summer instead of shooting field tips. Cause I just want to make sure, you know, I'm not going to be hunting with field tips. So, you know, why shoot them? You know, I'll have multiple targets set up so I don't have to worry about tearing up my equipment, but yeah, I shoot broadheads all summer long. Cause I want to make sure there's anything wrong with my setup. You know, I'm going to know about it months instead of days in advance of hunting season. So I'll yeah, that, that, we, we, we preach that all the time is shooting like you're hunting. You know, we, we try, I mean, we have training days where we'll actually go down and, you know, to the farm and throw stands up and put 3D targets out and cut shooting lanes. And, you know, we, we've got an elevated platform. We're lucky to have that at the office. So, yeah, I, I hunt or train like you're, like what you're going to be hunting in. Adam, is there a, a, like a drop away rest or anything that you like? And do you run any kind of, like sidebars or anything for stabilizers? I am. Um, I've been using the integrated ultra rest that, um, that Hoyt sells, you know, with their bows to go on the, uh, the, is it Piccany, Piccatinny rail? Piccatinny, yep. Piccatinny rail. So I've had no issues with that ultra rest, you know, with it failing or locking up or anything, knock on wood. Um, and yeah, the last couple of years with the sidebars, the guy that I have do all my work on my bow, he's got a deal that he sets that bow in and it actually, um, he's able to add weight, you know, to the front or to the side to get that bow absolutely perfect and stable in your hand. I mean, I can, you know, extend my arm out fully and that bow is just so rock solid. It's not going anywhere. So that's awesome. That's, you know, I've taken advantage of the, the sidebars and really got my bow perfectly balanced, I guess is the best description for that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So some, some rapid fire questions for you to, to wrap things up. I know we're, we're closing in on over an hour and we need to come back and, and, and do part two because this has been awesome. And um, if you could hunt any state other than your home state, what would it be? Canada. Canada. That's a, that's quite a state. That's a, <laughs> that's Alberta, <laughs> Alberta, Alberta. Yeah. Alberta. Yep. Okay. Um, that's good. Uh, what is the future looking like for you and, uh, your, your goals for this upcoming season? Oh, my goal every year as far as deer season goes is try to get on it. 200 inch deer. So that's kind of the focus, um, for this fall. 
Uh, already got one goal for this year out of the way. Got my nephew his first bear with a bow last that was awesome. two weeks ago up in uh, Saskatchewan. So I guess, you know, short-term, long-term is always a big whitetail, man. I'd love to crack 200 inches on a typical or beat my personal best, you know, 219 for a non-typical, but you could, you could offer me any hunt in the world. And I think my first choice is always going to be, you know, going after a giant deer. So, yeah. All right. Tell us, uh, tell us how guys can find moon guide, um, and, and, and what you've got coming up, if anything new with the moon guide and, and anything with team 200 and the show, what you got going on there other than the new ICO gear sponsorship plug right. engage <laughs> we made the switch and, and i will i will wave the flag because you know i was all in with with sitka you know they make some of the best gear out there and i was fully vested and you know when you sent me that stuff late season last year i'd only seen it online and you know to be able to compete with their clothing i feel like I took no step backward with the quietness of your gear and the warmth of it. And as far as I'm concerned, your pattern is twice the pattern that Sitka is. I mean, just absolutely disappears. Awesome. Absolutely. Love it. Not, not, I don't feel like I gave anything up other than <laughs> having 10 grand worth of sick guy had to sell. <laughs> we need to have Facebook. <laughs> we need to have a buyback program where if you switch to Osseo, we we buy back Sitka or something like wow. that. Yeah, Sweet. yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. That, we're gonna have to edit that out. <laughs> no, really happy with that. With it, appreciate the opportunity to be involved with that. So yeah. Oh, that's really awesome. Happy, what, what about uh about anything new coming with the moon guide? Yeah, actually, um our latest upgrade is being um, tested by Google Play and the App Store as we speak. We added mapping features to um, to the Moon Guide this year, so you can actually, you know, go into the parcel data and you can uh, save your property. It'll outline the property where your farm. So you got your boundaries saved on the map. You can add waypoints if you want to mark your trail cameras, your tree stands, you know, when you're scouting, you can, you know, add a trail to it. You can, um, you can measure your food plots. You can measure distances. You know, the moon guide is, is not going to be a, a competitor with your hunt stand and onyx. As far as the mapping goes, we're never going to have, you know, the mapping features that they have, but to have all the basics that you need, for mapping goes, it's all right there on the Moon Guide app now. That's awesome. So that's that's all um, all being tested, and as soon as it's approved, it's going to be released. So I'm sure here in the next two weeks that'll be released, and um, that's the biggest thing. I mean, I've used you know the Moon Guide for for hunting. I mean, it's a hunting app, knowing the best days and times, and now we've got the mapping. You know, so I don't have to switch back and forth between multiple apps. I mean, we got the hunting information, the weather, and now we got the mapping. So it's a one-stop one shop. shop. Yeah, yep. that's awesome. What about uh, – and, and guys, find that app store or whatever, moonguide.com. Yeah, um, you can go to moonguide.com. We've got links in the store for Google Play and the app store. If you want to go to 
directly to the app stores, you know, just look up, uh, you know, deer hunters, moon guide, um, you know, we're on Instagram and Facebook as well. So. And how about team 200, anything new coming on there? I know you've expanded your team. You got a heck of a big buck killing crew. Yeah. We just added, um, uh, a guy from Alberta outfitter from Alberta. So we've got, I think 13 guys on the show now. And the season just kicked off this week with our, we've actually got a traditional team now. The three guys from PA that all, that have been shooting longbows for, you know, 30 years. So the first show of the season was the traditional guys. And um, yeah, it's on uh, Pursuit Channel, Waypoint TV, which is growing. I mean, you can get Waypoint TV just about anywhere now. All the smart TVs. You can download their app. It's all free. I mean, Waypoint is just kicking butt. So that's awesome. Well, man, we're gonna we we got into about half of our uh, questions and 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 points. So we're gonna have to do part two of this. If you you've got time, you know, you know, in a week or two, hop back on and 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 go again. Uh, Kevin, you got anything before we <clears throat> sign off here? Yeah, I wanted to. I got a a bunch, but we'll have to we'll have to hit on some more tactics later on. When we get you back on. But you mentioned you shooting your biggest deer and how that hunt played out, and that was awesome. I kind of want to know, and I think I know, I know the gist of the story. Um, what was one that uh, that got away? How'd that play out? And what would you do differently, I guess, if you could have that back? Man, the biggest one that ever got away was that buck I hit up in the bow zone. 20 years ago and i just have you seen that deer i've yeah. seen i've seen clips of it i think it was on the moon guide commercial double, double drop time yeah it was yeah. a giant yeah they had the sheds from the year before were 225 so he was you know mid 230s the year i hit him and i mean that that came down to just a, a mental error i mean that deer had been you know in bow range for three hours laying down with the doe and i was I was on the ed end of a lake and they were basically following a trail around the edge of a lake and the doe was laying in the middle trail at 30 yards. And for three hours, I'm thinking he's going to get up and follow that doe. And I'm going to put my 20 yard pin right on the top of his lungs and let him have it. And it'll be the haze buck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and when that deer finally got up, he angled towards me to run another buck off. And he closed the gap to 20 yards and it just never registered, you know, that he actually came closer. And I just lay sitting there in that stand for three hours thinking what I was going to do. And I hit right where I was aiming, but I shot him for 30 instead of 20 and hit him in no man's land and never saw him again. So it was just, you know, it's one of those things. So was that a buck that you knew, you knew he was already in that area and you did like a hanging hunt or did you go and no, that was on a that was on an outfitted hunt that was on an outfitted hunt and that outfitter put me in there and <clears throat> he knew of the deer he didn't obviously know the deer was in there because i don't think he would have had me in there <laughs> he'd have been in there <laughs> he'd have been in there or he'd had one of his millionaire clients in there but um they basically stuck me in there believe it or not because they were hauling manure onto that farm. 
semi after semi after semi. And when we got there, it reeked to high heaven. I mean, you never smelled so much manure in your life. And he's like, I'm not sure you're going to want to sit here. I'm like, hell yes, I am. Cause there ain't no deer that's going to ever smell me. <laughs> and all my stuff reeked when I got into camp, but I mean, it was, yeah, it was a perfect scenario. Oh, well, I got a, I got a bunch of tactic questions and stuff for you, Adam. Cause I, I, uh, I really want to pick your brain, but I think we're running low on time. We really need to get you back on soon because I got a bunch for you. Yeah, anytime, man. We appreciate it. Anything else you need to put in here or, or we'll pick it up? Just, just one thing. Oh, here we go. Oh, wait. <laughs> I love it. There we go. I love it. I love it. Uh, good stuff, man. Well, we appreciate it, brother, and um, we will uh, pick this up again soon. Sounds good, man. Thanks All again. Right, man. Thanks. Have a good one. Appreciate it. All right. All right. Bye.